welcome to the Business Design Podcast. Uh, I am uh, confused. Yeah, I'm confused and he's dazed. Yeah, sounds like a time for a song, dazed and confused. Crazy idea. So I'm Dr. Kent. And I'm Randy Baker. And Business Design Podcast, we talk about business and business design. And every business has to have some element of human relations management. And today we're talking with a leader in this space, David Matthews. And it's really interesting to hear from him how he stumbled into this profession. Uh, I especially love um, the very beginning of this interview. So listen up, uh, (laughs) all you folks who try to shorten David to Dave. Listen up and here's our interview with David Matthews. Good to talk with you, David. Now, you go by Dave and David. I know it's not a big deal, but um, what do you prefer? Uh, David, I guess. And why? I'm super curious. Like when you were a little kid running around, uh, did people try to call you Dave? Uh, <laughs> no, my mother always said that was my name. That's what she named me. And she didn't have a Dave. She had a David. So I respect my mom. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And what was her name? Or what is her name? Lula Lee. Lula. Well, that's an awesome name. But I wouldn't advise calling her Lula. I would call her Lee. Even though Lula is her first name, not many people survive calling her Lula. (laughs) (laughs) Ms. Lee. Yes. Yeah. So, all right. So you were Christian David. Wow. The ringtones you have there are both on one side really retro, kind of like sort of feels like a newsroom in the 80s. And that second one was like almost techno. It was like really. That was, cool. that was the theme to Batman. Oh, nice. Perfect. <laughs> so how is David like Batman? Uh, if I had a hero to select, it would be Batman. Because he's a normal guy who has a bunch of gadgets or why? Because he uses his intellect in, to solve problems. So he's a problem solver. Comes up with technological devices, but that's only through thinking it out in terms of what he needs for to address the next issue that could uh, arise. So to become Batman, you got to be made of money, right? So uh, have you tried to become Batman? Are you made of money? Uh, Batman's my nickname and I'm not made of money, but I do solve a lot of problems. So Love people that. know that uh, I'm around, I'm available around the clock, always have been, even when, you know, working three shifts in a manufacturing facility. I was one of the few human resources personnel that would walk the floor on the third shift and see how people were doing, which they loved. You know, they didn't have to stay over or come in early just to talk to someone in human resources about basic things or sometimes even more serious things. But yeah, I used to have uh, two pagers. So human resources, yes. they, I have family who are in HR. There's some very specific problems that they're dealing with right now um, relating to the pandemic, relating to coming back to work. Where do you see HR as far as how to help companies overcome the pandemic issues? HR plays a, a critical role in, in, in what's going to happen. I mean, I've been working on this problem, and if you look at the next pandemic, it's a mental health pandemic. That doesn't get addressed easily. Your average 
manager or first line supervisor does, is not equipped with the skills to sort of deal with what they have to deal with. And it's not just conflict resolution. It's just people are disengaged. They are fearful. They're going through burnout, the ones that are in high tech that have not had the break that some have had. You know, first responders, they've been engaged fully, not only risking their lives, but the lives of their families and loved ones. So, yeah, this is, this is a, a tremendous opportunity for HR to shine, to really be a business partner, to try to put their pulse on what is going on with their workforce and get ahead of it with various, like as Batman would do, with various tools and technology. I like that you tied Batman back in there. That's that's good. <laughs> We're going to have to use the law of threes. We're going to have to come back in later with Batman and shine a bat <laughs> signal on the moon or something. So you have a long history in corporate. You, you've worn the blue suit. Uh, Randy also wore the blue suit for a little while until he started loosening his tie too much, had to get into the startup game. <laughs> but uh, how did you, what was your journey from, um, I don't know, a little, little boy with a blue shirt uh, and a mom who said your name was David to the blue suit to, to today where you're wearing a blue shirt? Journey. My, my journey was, uh, I uh, went to a very small public school, uh, you know, small town. I mean, how small? Like small, small. Uh, how small? I say my graduating class was about 110. Wow. So it's one of the top schools in Westchester, and I think in the New York as well as the United States in terms of from uh, educational perspective. So I got a really, really good education. I'm one of five kids, so I'm the youngest. In the beginning, I tried working right after high school, tried working a little bit, worked in hotels, worked in hospitals. Then I came to the conclusion that, you know, this is absolutely not for me. <laughs> so I said, okay, what am I going to do next? So I ended up, you know, transferring in and, and trying out a couple of business classes at Westchester Community College. So I actually started at the community level, a co college level, joined a number of different organizations like the Student Senate. I ran for a treasurer of the Student Senate, was successful. I ran for the president of the Faculty Student Association, was successful. I ran for um, vice president of the Business Honor Society, I was successful. So there's about 10 different on-campus organizations that I was heavily involved with, which kept me quite busy. But it just like with the orientation committee, and I still use those skills today that, that I used in the beginning in terms of helping people to adjust to a new environment and a new culture coming on campus. That got me interested in, in I, I was going to be a finance person. I was great with numbers. But then as, as my experience in terms of taking accounting courses, finance courses, and getting involved, I took a course in human resources management, which was by a adjunct professor who was still, you know, working full time, and he just wanted to give back to the community. So he became a professor at Westchester. So it was pretty much an exciting journey there where he just had a passion for human resources and he exposed me to the different areas within human resources. He says, you could have a financial background and you could do compensation and benefits. He goes, there's a, a place for you. He goes, you're really good with people. He goes, there's employee relations and labor relations. And says, you know, and you're good at, you're good at negotiating, so you can do contract negotiations. 
So we really tried to introduce me to the different functional areas within human resources. And I uh, started researching uh, the, what colleges and universities that I could move on to. And Cornell University had the best industrial labor relations program in the United States, probably the world. So I applied and got into the ILR school. And a lot of practical experience where we had professionals coming in, doing presentations, talking a little bit about, you know, the problems that they're solving and what they see in terms of future problems that we as students might start considering and, and coming up with solutions for. So very interactive classes, absolutely phenomenal place. I'm on the alumni board. That's how much I still have a passion for, for Cornell. So I invest a lot of myself into giving back to that community as well. But as it turns out, uh, my uh, senior year, I was recruited on campus to work for a financial services company in their management associate program, which was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, heavy exposure to senior executives, including the CEO of an 80,000 employee corporation that was global. So you want to talk about have some fun and playing in a big sandbox? That was fun. Ended up moving around in the different functional areas within human resources, but I had a passion for employee relations. So I was in the policy division and the head of employee relations asked me a question. He says, hey, what do you think about diversity? And what do you think, you know, about working with me, helping with the affirmative action programs and reviewing employment, equal employment opportunity cases? He goes, what do you think? And so I took it on. And when was this? This was... Oh, this is back in the, the 80s. Wow. I'm a seasoned professional, as we like to say, right? But what an opportunity. <laughs> Just, I mean, you're, you're a young, uh, bright, uh, at that point, young, bright African-American kid just showing up and they're like, hey, can we, you know, use your brain? And you say, yeah, oh. sure. And, it's, and I, I was able to work with uh, this young lady, Marjorie Leopold. She was a grad student at Columbia University. And she was tapping into the area of diversity and diversity awareness and what it might do for organizations on a, like for the United States and also on a global basis. So we ended up contracting with her, helping her with her PhD, as well as helping ourselves as an organization develop a um, diversity awareness program. We were the first on the block to sort of try that hat on, as you might say. There, I, I mean, developed a passion for diversity, diversity management, diversity awareness. I've used it in every part of my career over the last 35, 40 years. So it always comes in handy. I'm working on a product now that's not ready, but to deal with helping what now is referred to as BIPOCs get into the C-suite and what they're missing and what they're lacking. Um, my approach is, I, I think, different than others. I mean, there's executive coaching and there's some great coaches out there that do a phenomenal job. And I think it's very important that key executives and people who are trying to move up the corporate ladder have an executive coach, have somebody that they trust that can tell them, you know, the emperor has no clothes on. That's a very important perspective when somebody else who you trust can tell you, listen, the direction you're going in is fraught with not just danger, but you're going to leave dead bodies in your wake. You will be successful, but you won't last. You won't survive. It's the old what got you there is not going to keep you there. And that's very true in corporate America. So it's, it's, it's very important that, one, that people who are taking on the responsibility of managing people and coaching other people and being a mentor 
understand themselves. That self-awareness piece is critical. When you look at minorities, most minorities haven't had that opportunity because they've been given great exposure, done extremely well in their careers, very well educated, but they've never taken the time to look at themselves as an individual, as like a, almost a 360 and a 360 evaluation, what their impact is on the individuals around them, the ones that they support, their customers, their colleagues, their senior leaders. Are they easy to talk to? Not easy to talk to. I mean, it's very important, the higher up you go in an organization, the more that you understand yourself. If you don't understand that, you know, if you've been exposed to racism, which most minorities in the United States have had and been exposed to it, and it's just different degrees. But over a prolonged period of time, that creates something known as trauma. And the beautiful thing about trauma it stays with you until you fix it. So even though you seem on the surface that you're doing fine, you're really not. Because that trauma is still controlling some of your decisions and your behaviors. But until you can face it and look at it and understand its impact on you as an individual, then you can't really move forward and expect to lead others. Because you're assuming sometimes that they've gone through the same trauma that you have and they haven't. Or you're not standing and, and listening to them enough so you understand them as individuals and you're, you're not open to it. So there's a thing called open-minded and closed-minded. Closed-minded people are good at managing themselves, but not very good at managing others. They're very successful in sales. They'll be your top sales folks, but don't give them people because they're too damaged. So really the, the idea of trauma, I mean, there's no doubt that it it just shapes people, obviously, and, and generational trauma shapes people. And day-to-day -day experiences, you know, it's real. It's, you know, PTSD-level trauma. So when you were a little tyke, your kid number six, so of course you're being spoiled like none of the rest, they, they, your parents tested everything out on the first five, right? Um, <laughs> there are only five but, of us. I'm, I'm the last oh, of five. five so. Okay, so you're the last of five. But now, you grew up in Westchester, not a very African-American area, or was it fairly evenly split? Or how, What was your childhood <laughs> like? Uh, there was a handful of, uh, of minorities in Rye, period. I grew up in a town called Rye, New York. We were one of the few towns around that didn't celebrate Martin Luther King's birthday. Until really? I had to take a stand and actually go into the superintendent's office and talk a little bit about that. Wow. And his first response was, guess what? You know what? The blacks don't have to come to school during Martin Luther King's birthday. So you guys have the excuse absence. So if you look at diversity and if you look at how far we've come, that was the response. Not a great response. I, yeah, you know, I could tell by, <laughs> by the silence. No, that was not a great response. But I didn't quit then. I continued to uh, get other people involved and engaged in the discussion and explained. It's like if you actually listen to the longer parts of the speech and not just the beginning of I have a dream and listen to the other things that he was promoting, he was promoting, you know, everyone and unity and interconnectedness, which you don't hear a lot about these days, but it's the most 
valuable and important thing is to understand the interconnectedness of all of us. I mean, I could hold up. He a was bed. standing up, standing up for the garbage uh, union, wasn't it? The garbage workers yes. that weekend that he died or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't for just, just, you know, African-Americans and blacks. He was for everyone. You know, he truly believed and his dream was in terms of the interconnectedness of the world and that we would rely on each other and take the higher ground. So you're a young man, you go up to the superintendent. So you got you got some cojones uh, <laughs> at a young age. Were you supported by your parents in that? Or were you sort of like, were they like, oh no, David did, did what? <laughs> Let's just say, um, my mom used to have this saying, and please don't take it this wrong way, because <laughs> not that she wasn't religious, but she said, I could upset the Pope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because if we had a disagreement, I was thick, I was, and I felt that I was standing on solid ground. I continued to have my discussion and make my points. So, no, I, I, authority didn't bother me then. It doesn't bother me now. I think that in, uh, under the title is an individual. And once they get back to being an individual, then they understand that there's a lot of commonalities that we have. And the conflict is about an item or an issue, not about who we are as individuals coming into this discussion. So, David, I want to go back to your corporate experience for a few minutes. I've been in the C-suite for 20, 30 years, and it was very normal for the C-suite to refer to the HR department as being the department of no, because they were very good at saying, no, 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 you can't do that. No, you can't do that. No, can't do that either. And I think to some extent that is still a perception. How does the HR department overcome that perception and how do they become a true benefit, a true treasure for the C-suite to work with? I, myself personally, the way that I attacked and addressed that that specific issue is because we were the we're the no people. <laughs> you walk in the door, it's like, oh boy, here comes HR, and people just kind of turn their head and just go, okay, tell me why we can't do it. I just say, go ahead. I want to hear why the knows. And mine was, I, I took a totally different approach. It's like you can do anything you want. I mean, you have to understand. It's like your other HR person was really worried about lawsuits. But to be honest with you, anybody can sue you at any given time for any given reason. So that's not a good enough reason to say no. I says, I say no. I don't say no. I help you understand, you know, this is what it's going to cost at the end of the day. But we can do it. Or I'll give you the skills to help you get to a better place. What do I mean by that? Usually the no's came from a manager wanting to get rid of an employee. And then you ask that manager, it's like, well, your last performance evaluation, this person was exceptional. What changed? And this is, oh, a lot. They're just different, completely different. They're not what I have. So in comes Dave Matthews, and he goes, this is what we're going to do. We're going to write down all the things that you have there, put them down. We're going to address them, put the employee on what was called a performance improvement plan, and give them 30 days to see if they could pull this around. Maybe some there's some something going on with the individual. We'll give them 30 days. We'll give them coaching and let's see how far they get along and, and if they're able to deliver what you need. So that was my my handshake. It's like, not that you couldn't fire them, you just can't fire them today. It's just, we don't do that. And they 
supported me 100% because there were some people that just didn't make it. And there were some that did. And the ones that didn't could had no way to take action against the organization. So we protected the organization. We gave the individual a chance to, to be successful. So they knew that it wasn't the right place for them at the end of the day. So it was a handshake. It wasn't any, any animosity. It wasn't a surprise. Um, individuals don't like surprises unless they're positive. So for the employee to think that they were doing okay and the manager not giving them regular feedback was a failure of our management team. But they have to understand that they can't just put the organization at risk because they've lost patience with an individual. So I teach and taught them how to have patience and we could still get to that, that end goal, which is increase performance or get somebody else who's going to perform. And that's really what you want at the end of the day. I mean, you're getting rid of somebody who has the knowledge, skills, and abilities because otherwise they wouldn't have, we wouldn't have hired them and they wouldn't be in that position. And somewhere along the line, maybe the skill sets change that are needed and required or the individual is no longer fully engaged on a regular basis during the workday. So for whatever reason, you try to course correct if you can't course correct, and then you could eliminate the person. And they're like, well, if they're a minority, we can't get rid of them. If they're a woman, you can't get rid of them. If they have a person with disabilities, you can't get rid of them. And I proved to them that, oh, yeah, you can, um, because we're getting rid of them for legitimate business reasons, not because of any other reason other than the fact that they're not performing the job as, as well as we need in order to move the business along. So I'd help them make the business case, you know, for what it is they're trying to accomplish. And I was involved in the meetings to talk about resources because they trusted me. They, the CEO would give me the, the five-year plans for every single business that we're, we worked with. And I, I asked me to review them and asked me what I thought. I noticed a little bit of a smile happened when you said the CEO would uh, <laughs> give you those reports. Was it just, did it just tickle you to be able to do it? Or were you picturing him in your mind, him or her in your mind or? Uh, I was I was picturing what he got himself into at that point in time when he asked me to review it because, you know, I had a minor in business administration. So I was a business person. So I understood that I tried to learn every business I worked for, try to learn the business, try to understand the ins and outs, try to like spend time with the CFO, the COO, uh, the CIT. So just making sure that I understand what it is, what we're in business for, what it is we're trying to accomplish, what our future looks like like what's going to take to get there? Do we have the knowledge, skills, and abilities to get there? That's a human resources perspective, making sure we have the right people in the right place at the right time to move the business forward. With that said, he, he asked me to take a look at it. And I said, you know, and I looked at, and then I asked for the prior years. And I said, give me the prior years. So I had three years of business plans, three to, the, three to five year plans. And you know what I noticed when I reviewed those plans? They got sexier. Absolutely sexier. PowerPoints, they had hired PowerPoint professionals. <laughs> so, oh, they had the screen changes. Oh, it was a beautiful thing to watch. But when you read it, there's no content. Zero. It was uh, the same thing that was going to fix the problem three years ago is being proposed this year for next year and the next three to five years. But it didn't work three years ago. But it's the, almost the exact same verbiage. But it came in and introduced on the PowerPoint a little bit differently because maybe it slid in or it was an explosion. 
and it was just beautiful to watch. But the content was was horrible. And I asked uh, I asked the CEO, did he actually like look at the prior years? And he said, no. He goes, why would they give me the same report? I said, they didn't. I said, this one's, look at the improvement in terms of the presentation. The presentation is outstanding now. I says, here's what I would do. He goes, well, what would you do, Dave? What do you recommend? I said, listen, this is what I would do. I said, get rid of the PowerPoints altogether. And let's just have discussions. Say, give me your top three things that you're going to do. Give me the top three things you're going to get rid of. And tell me about the numbers in terms of where you think they're going to go. That was it. And uh, so everybody had to go back to the drawing board and just come in and talk about three, three, and then where things were going to happen. And they were a little upset because they found out that I was the reason for it because they were very good at schmoozing and, and you know, just presenting. They, the public speaking skills were enhanced. They had their best person, like, present to the CEO. So that was a great experience for a developmental standpoint for the employee they got to present. But now it was just a, a, a discussion. And we were able to ask questions during that discussion. So that spent a lot of time actually digging and, and looking at the, the real numbers and coming up with better solutions. At the, the end of the day, it was the most effective thing they could have ever done because, you know, the business went through a huge downturn after 9-11. And because they had a contingency plan, they were able to kick that into gear, survive, and actually thrive. So it was an absolutely amazing experience. So I really love the idea of threes. Threes are things that I've always liked. If you were walking into the, uh, the senior HR person of a multinational corporation today, what are the three things you would suggest the HR department should be looking out for over the next 12 months? I think they have to look at employee engagement, absenteeism, and either come up with their own way or use an assessment to assess where people are with regards to their mental health. And sometimes you have to use a third party in order to do that, but that's very important. I mean, you really, and they need to know. I mean, the, the numbers are alarming. They're saying almost 56% of the workforce is, is going through mental health issues. So to think that you're not or your organization isn't it would be shameful. I mean, it, 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 there are certain things that you can't talk about with your employees directly because they're protected, especially in the United States. But you need someone to be able to talk to that employee to help them through whatever they're going through. Some mental health issues are te like temporary in nature. They just lost, it could be, you know, a dog or a pet. That's part of your family. If you've had it for 13 years, that has, a, that has an impact. So it's not just a human factor. It, like, you know, the loss of a mother, a spouse, a child, it could be a pet. And that goes overlooked more than, than, than you would think. But people for a while are not in a good place. That was part of them, part of their family. Like either they grew up with their kids or maybe they're a single person and that's their, you know, that's their best friend. That's that unconditional love. Every time they walk in the door, that all of a sudden disappears. So you're a dog person? I actually have an African gray parrot. Oh, wow. I'd have, have something from Africa. I'm only kidding. But <laughs> <laughs> both Randy and I are dog people. That's why I mentioned that. And when I, I when I lost when I lost our um, you know 
beloved dog. I, I was inconsolable for quite a while, so I get it. So right, it's it's but but no one would really think that you had that much unconditional love for a pet. That's right. Yeah. But yeah. So I love I love that there's you're developing a solution. You're you're um. Uh, what you're releasing has to deal with this, right? Where it deals with this uh, mental mental health uh, challenges and so on in HR situations, right? Yeah, we use a blended approach, which is you know assessment, learning and development, where individual can actually develop skills so they can address these types of issues, whether it be anxiety, depression, burnout. And the, the blended approach is it's supported with one-on-one coaching. Where can folks find out about, about that and what's coming soon? And who exactly are you looking for to reach out to you? I've been using a one, almost a one-to-one approach, talking to different organizations about how they're dealing with what I think is the next pandemic and seeing if they have a need for what I think our services could provide I just been kind of using LinkedIn and contacting people in terms of my network and trying to start up pilot programs and organizations so that they could readily see the impact and, and the change over a short period of time and how important it is for the employees and what the employees get out of it, share back metrics. So I do, don't have a glamorous website, but... I could I could tell you that in terms of like we're pretty much ready to present and we've been doing one on one until it sort of catches on a little bit more. Great. So people can reach out to you on LinkedIn uh, for more information. Absolutely. And I would I give anybody a 15 minute or more curiosity conversation so we could just talk Hmm. about some of the things that they're going through. I love the curiosity conversation. I like that. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. We, we keep these interviews fairly short. We, we spilled over with you a little bit because I think we could talk to you for hours, right, Randy? <laughs> about the blue suits and everything. Well, it's more about bat time. So it's <laughs> <laughs> there's your third bat. <laughs> we didn't even get to, to that part of it, but yeah. But thank you so much, both of you, Kat and Randy. It's, it was my pleasure, and you're so easy to talk to. And thanks for the opportunity to share a little bit about myself with you. Well, you're welcome. It's fabulous. I really enjoyed just the flow of this conversation. I love the part where you were talking about really choice, that executive teams have a choice as to how they work with their employees. They have a choice as to what they can do and what they can't do. And there's ramifications for whatever choice they make. Uh, I love the way you spoke about HR being in a position to help them to understand those ramifications and to find better ways of doing things. So if you're human and you want some resources, come check out uh, thoughtpartnergroup.com and uh, fill out the assessment. We'll see if we can be the humans that can be resourceful for you. And if you're not so resourceful but you've got a buck, check out crazymba.com. And for all our podcasts, you can go to podcasts.thoughtpartnergroup.com. Cheers. Cheers.